going to talk this afternoon about the future. Looking into the future, what does it have in store for you? How do we navigate it uh, in a way that is going to cause us to be successful? Um, and again, this lesson is for you, those of you who are making big decisions. Um, now, some of you in here are not teens, but it would be unfair of me to make mention of how long it's been since Wayne Jones has been a teenager. Uh, it'd probably be a little mean, but that's okay. Uh, the rest of you here, I think some of this is, is hopefully going to help you as you, you navigate these waters of, of what it means to, to grow and to continue to, to carry on this life. I would maybe start by asking this question this afternoon. Anybody worried about the future? Yeah, I, th I think if we're honest, we all are. Uh, but especially um, those of you who are going to make really important choices coming up. You're going to face choices that are going to be life-altering. And, and I say that in that way to emphasize how important these choices are. You're going to ask questions like, where am I going to go to school when I'm out of high school? Will I go to school when I'm out of high school? Where will I live? Who will I marry? What congregation will we go to? How will we raise our kids? Those are are really heavy questions. They're questions that have not only consequences in the here and now, but for generations sometimes. Now, I would like to tell you that today I'm going to give you every answer to every question that you have. In other words, you're going to leave out these doors today in 45 minutes or whatever it is this lesson is going to be. And you will not have any questions about your future. You will know all the right answers to all the questions. And there's no need for you to worry anymore. But the reality is I, I can't do that. Certainly not in, in 40 minutes or whatever it is that we've got here. When you talk about things like marriage, career, purpose, even friends and children and family, th those are all subjects that could take lessons upon lessons upon, in fact, where I'm at, our whole entire quarter, later on this year, we're going to talk about nothing but the family for a whole quarter. These are, these are big subjects we have to consider. So what I wanted to do this afternoon is equip you. I may not know the answers to all the questions that you have. But I think if we go through the Bible, we can find principles that will help us to answer those questions as you come to them in life. And I'm going to try this afternoon to give you a way, a system, a method, whatever you want to call it, that you can make good biblical choices. Make the right choices in life. Because here's the truth. Whatever choice it is that we face, whatever the future has to hold for us, there are biblical principles that can guide us along the way. I want you to consider our very first step. What do I do when I have a big decision that I have to make? Who am I going to marry? What kind of job am I going to have? Where am I going to go to school? All those kinds of things. What's my first step? 
Well, the first step I'm going to give you is one that you're going to see coming. This should be the first step almost in everything, and that is to seek direction from God. As Christians, our overall direction in life is determined by our commitment to God. If we are committed to God in the way that he wants us to be and that we should be, it is his wisdom that will guide us each and every step of the way. But we must remember to allow his wisdom to direct our lives. Of course, you probably think of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Well, how does God do that? How is it that God directs my path? And I'm going to give you two practical ways. First of all is through the wisdom of the Bible. Certainly, you recognized that was coming, didn't you? At some point, I was going to tell you, if you're going to make a big decision, you're going to have to crack open your Bible. You're going to have to do some study. You're going to have to look and find what God's wisdom is. The second one that we'll also include later on in this process is, is important as well. And that is to depend on wise biblical counsel from those around you. But first of all, before we get to that point, we recognize that our choices have to be in harmony with God's word. As we pray and as we study to see what it says about the choice that we're making, uh, we have to ultimately come to the conclusion that whatever God says is what I must do. And if at any time my decisions seem to conflict with what God says is wise and good and righteous, then I have to go with God. Now, we have a word that we use sometimes, obey. Everybody heard that word, obey, obedience? You hear that sometimes in a Bible lesson? We need to obey God. Now, I want to suggest to you something that, that maybe you've not thought of. But obedience can only take place when there is disagreement. Now, let me explain that. My youngest daughter, who's here, sitting in the back. We got home and I told her, Avery, I want you to sit down, I want you to play Fortnite, and I want you to eat gummy bears. She'd be like, yes, because that's what she would want to do anyway if you gave her a choice. That's not obedience. That's just doing what you want to do when it happens to coincide with what you were supposed to do. Obedience comes when there's conflict. When I have to look at what God says and look at what I want, and they're different. Then when we talk about obedience, then what it means is I have to bend, I have to conform, and let go of my will to do it God's way. But we have to know what that is, don't we? I can't do that if I'm not aware of what God's will is. The good news is that we have all kinds of passages and, and even books of the Bible that are so practical for us. Uh, you look at the, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a, an unending well of godly wisdom. Uh, one of the Bible uh, books in the New Testament, one that we talked about at the McCarty Student Center the other night with the college kids, the book of James. James is so practical. There are so many things that you look at that you... You don't have to be a great theologian to understand what James is saying. And, and he gives us so many practical things. In fact, I remember someone telling a story years ago about a preacher 
And some of the older guys here may know who it is. I, I, can't, I can't remember. I racked my brain trying to remember who it was. I don't remember who it was. But he would study. There's 31 chapters of Proverbs, right? 31, 30 days in a month, right? Whatever day of the month it was, he would study that chapter in Proverbs. So today is the 20, what, 6th, 27th, 28th, somewhere in there, 27th, maybe. Okay. He would, he's studying today Proverbs 27. Also, the book of James has five chapters. Well, in a regular work week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there's five days, right? He would study chapter one on Monday, chapter two on Tuesday, chapter three. And he's done it that way for years and years, even decades. And guess what? He has never run out of interesting material. He's never run out of wisdom. Just looking at those two books, there's so much practical wisdom in it that you could study for a lifetime and still make gains from it. And that's just those two books. The Bible is filled with wealth of wisdom and knowledge for us. And as we study the Bible again, we have to act on what we learn. We have to use God's choices and not our own. Sometimes our choices are menial. They're small. Things that, that we decided today. What are you going to wear? What you have for lunch? That kind of thing. And, and even then we might find we'd be surprised that there are some godly principles that, that come into play. What am I going to wear? I don't know what color you should wear, but I know it should be modest because the Bible calls for Christians to be modest. Now, if that's true, then certainly it's also true for the, for the big things. And so we, we have to know what God's will is. We have to know what God's principles are, and we have to know what the, the sort of parameters or, or, or the areas that God has set up for us to operate in life. After we do that, the next thing we need to do is define the problem. This is the step that I have had the hardest time with. And it took me a while to realize how important this is. You see, sometimes we don't really understand the problem. And if we don't understand the problem, it's going to be difficult to come up with the right solution, is it not? Sometimes it can be helpful to look at the problem from, from all different angles. Ask questions like, what caused the problem to happen? Why did it happen this way? What were the circumstances? Who all was involved? What was their motivation? I'll give you two examples of this real quickly. The first example was a young man. He's, he's an adult now. He has a wife and several kids. And, but when he was a, a young junior high, high school kid, he was so arrogant and had so much bravado in everything that he did that it was, it was almost annoying, you know? It, it, it was overwhelming how, just how full of himself this guy. He talked all the time about how great he was and, and all this kind of stuff. And it just hit me one day why he did that. We might think, well, he's, he's got a problem with pride, right? Obviously. But then also recognize that he grew up with a group of boys and he was the smallest and he was the youngest. And, and he wasn't telling everyone how great he was so that we would believe it. He was doing it so that he would believe it. And the solution to the problem was not to, to grill him about arrogance and pride. The solution to the problem was to talk about him uh, to him about his own self-worth and how God sees him and how valuable he is in the eyes of God. 
Another one, another example that I, I, I like to use sometimes. My oldest daughter, who's not here, she's working uh, at Chick-fil-A today, like a lot of people do. She had a friend. She befriended this young man. The young man came from a, a harsh background, and, and he had a difficult time, and, and he would come over to the house. And, and one day, this, they were younger. They wanted to go play Pokemon Go. And so I put them in the car, and we went to different places where they could play Pokemon Go, and they had a good afternoon. And everything seemed to be great. And then after that, for some reason, he just, he just turned on her. He was mean. He pushed her away. You know, he was emotionally, he was distant from her. And she couldn't figure out what happened. Well, it come to find out, his father had left him. Had abandoned him. And him seeing her interacting with a father who loved her and was involved, that reminded him of everything that he missed. He realized that he didn't have what she did, and and it, it hurt him. It, it broke his heart. Now, if we just look at it on the surface, we just say, well, that guy was just, he was ungrateful and mean. And, but when you really consider the problem and you look at it, what you find is he was hurting. He was in deep pain. And he needed not someone to be harsh with him and correct him in that particular moment, but to help him, to nurture him. And so sometimes when we look at these problems as they pop up in our lives, we have to understand what the real problem is. And the only way that we can do that is by looking at it from every angle, by examining it. And then also to recognize that sometimes what we see as a problem can also be an opportunity. You remember Esther, in Esther chapter 4. Esther's people are in captivity and they're about to experience genocide. And you remember in the, all of this death and all of the, the probability and likelihood that they were all going to perish. You, you remember the advice that was given to her. Because who knows, maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe in this great threat, there is a chance for something good to happen. You think about the example of Joseph. Anybody think it's pleasant to be thrown in a pit, to be sold off into slavery by your brothers? To be separated from a family, from a life, from a place that you've always known? And yet Joseph took that. And he took that opportunity to save his people. Paul in Philippi was thrown into a prison. Now again, prisons were not country clubs in first century Roman uh, occupation. It was not a pleasant place to be. And yet, in all of that, when we might take the opportunity to feel sorry for ourselves, Paul saw it as an opportunity to save the jailer and his family. That's why it's important to consider and to look at these problems, these choices. Because sometimes problems may be opportunities. Sometimes problems may be a chance to grow to change someone's life. And again, to clearly understand the scope of the issue, it's important before we move to the next step. Sometimes we have opportunities that arise and we have to ask ourselves, what is the cost? What is the benefit of those things? And also that's another concept that I had to, to struggle with as I was growing up. That you have to ask questions like, what do I get by choosing this? What do I lose if I don't choose it? 
Or how about what do I lose if I do choose? What is this going to cost me to take this path? So we've got to be able to define the problem. The next step is going to be what we're going to call develop an understanding. Okay, we've already mentioned using scripture. But again, we mentioned that there is one more source that's really important anytime we're making a big choice about our future. You guys, as a generation, have access to more information than my generation ever did. And that's a good thing, and it's a bad thing. Now, when I talk about Googling something, to me, that's something I had to learn to do. For you guys, it's second nature. Old men like me and Wayne probably remember a time when TVs didn't have remotes. Or if you missed your show, you just missed it because there were no reruns, there was no VCR, there wasn't any of that kind of thing. You just missed it. And if you went somewhere to get something to eat during a commercial, you had a brother or sister yelling, it's back on, it's back on, so you could get back because you didn't want to miss after the commercial was over. That's the world we grew up in. Information dark ages. You guys don't have that problem. Your problem is you have so much information that you've had to learn to sort through it. And so you know naturally, anytime you look something up online, that you, you want to question the source. You want to question the advice, what's coming. And, and you know how to sort through things very quickly to get to exactly what you want. Again, we live in a world where the word Google is now a verb. I, I would have never guessed that. If someone in my day and age when I was your age said they were going to Google something, I would think there was something very wrong with them. Maybe they were sick or something, I, you know. But that's the world we live in. And again, if you're going to use the Internet, which we all do now, remember that the Bible must be the filter through which all that information is filtered. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 15, it says, the, the simple believe every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. I also want you to think about the importance of finding good spiritual counsel. And I would add this to it from several people. The Bible advises in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. Having different people talk with you about whatever decision that you're facing, whatever choice that you're going to make, is going to be important. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I I'm a minister. I'm a minister in Georgetown, Texas, Gabriel Church Christ. And you would think that as someone who stands behind a pulpit, who studies my Bible every day, and who is paid to do that, that I would have all the answers to all the questions, right? Not even close. But you know what I do? I call people like Justin Guess and Wayne Jones. They call me. We talk those things out. We look at it from different angles. We, we consider it. We look and say, hey, have you ever thought about this passage having this meaning or this word? I'm having a hard time reconciling it to, to this particular text and, and to talk those things out. And, and that's a great help for me. 
the same principle is true for other things too, not just studying the Bible. One of the, the greatest things about being able to talk with older folks is that they have wisdom. Again, your generation has access to more knowledge than any generation before. But what you lack in you is wisdom. Well, what's the difference? Knowledge is to know something. I know this fact. We might use an example. I know that the stove is hot. I can read a book about it. I can look it up on the internet. When the stove is on and there's a flame or, or if you have an electric burner and it's glowing red, it's hot. But only people who've touched it knows what hot means. It knows the pain that comes with it. it. Knows why you don't touch hot. It's because they've experienced it. The Bible tells us and gives us examples of people who did just that. They sought out wisdom. They sought out advice from others when they're, they're looking at difficult problems. In Titus chapter 2, there's this whole section about older Christians teaching younger Christians. Giving them advice. Being able to say, listen, I've been in your shoes. I've walked in your path. I did this and I wished I'd have done that. Or I did this and I was glad that I did and I've never looked back. Or here's what I've learned from all my successes and my failures when it comes to this particular subject. Well, that's a valuable resource. You, you can't get that in a book. You can't get that online. You can only get that from Christians who have gone before you and have experienced the things in their past that you're looking forward to in your future. In Acts chapter 15, there's this bitter dispute in Antioch over circumcision. And notice what it says in, in verses 6 and 7. Where am I at? All right. Ignore that. Okay. In verses 6 and 7 it says, Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, it goes on to say, that Peter rises up and he speaks to them. There was a need for them as they looked at this problem to take the matter to someone who had a greater understanding. Who had something that they didn't have. And again, you want to know the importance of making the right choice about who you marry? Go talk to a faithful Christian who didn't. And who's experienced the, the difficulties and the heartaches and, and, and the frustrations that come with that. You want to find out what it means to have a life that's been riddled by drugs or alcohol? Find someone who is a Christian who's striving to be faithful, who's had to fight through that because they made poor choices when they were younger. They'll be able to tell you not just simply with knowledge but with wisdom what the pain, what the sorrow feels like. What the right choice in that moment should have been and could have been and the regret that comes with not making it. Some of us might be tempted to cut short this part of the, the process. To just just go past it. Just go quickly. I mean, after all, we're a bunch of old guys. What do we know? But it's important. It's, it's invaluable. That's why the Bible in Titus gives that counsel. For the older to teach the younger. Brings us to our next step. 
Once we've understood it, the next thing we need to do is deliberate on our choices. We've made the preparations. We've studied God's word. We've pondered the problem from every angle to understand it. We've sought the counsel of several wise Christians. They've given us their advice, their knowledge, and their wisdom. Now comes the time to weigh the options. Now's the time that you have to look inside yourself. List the pros and cons for each one. Get rid of the worst ideas and examine the best ones. I want you to remember the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 14. Verse 28 said, which are you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Again, this is practical advice just on a surface level, something that we recognize. If you're going to do something, if you're going to build a house, so to speak, don't you want to sit down and make sure you've got enough money to actually build that house? Because it'd be a shame to spend all that money and have half a house because you ran out and you didn't even think about it. Or to have to make, you know, substitutions and concessions because you, you had to cut corners now because you didn't have the money to, to do it the way that you wanted to do it or the right way. Anytime there's something big, we need to count the cost. We need to decide whether we're going to commit our lives to those things. Whether it's talking about baptism or who we're going to marry or where we're going to work or any of those things. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, pointed out the importance of looking ahead. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 3, it says, The prudent seems danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Solomon says, listen, those who are wise, those who are smart, they look at things, they consider them, they ponder them. process of deliberation is again an important and it's something that we have to do we have to look at and count the cost and foresee the dangers of whatever opportunity or problem that we have that we're considering which then brings us to our last one and that is at some point you got to decide and you have to do so decisively Think about that. If you've spent all this time doing research and preparation, if you've counseled God's word and you've been counseled by good, faithful Christians, and if you've looked at it from every angle and if you understand the problem, then at some point, this part should be easy, right? But it's still one that some folks struggle with. And at some point, you have to make a decision. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, perhaps the favorite verse of a lot of Christians, where Joshua tells his people, choose who you're going to serve. At some point, you've got to make a choice. If, if you don't think that you should be serving God, and you think you should serve one of the, the gods of the land that we dwell in, or the people who came from Egypt, then, then do that. But at some point, you can't stand in the middle. You've got to choose one way or the other. And in that is a wisdom of being decisive. What he's saying is that when you make a choice, you're letting go of the other one. He's not saying, listen, choose who you're going to give a preference to, who's going to get the majority of your attention, who will get the majority of your devotion, which God it's going to be. No, he says, make a choice. 
If you're going to serve God, if you're going to serve Jehovah, serve God and let all these others go. And if somehow that seems evil to you, then you're going to have to go serve those other gods because you can't serve Jehovah as well. There comes a time in which we have to make a choice decisively. That is, don't look back. Um, to run the risk of, of being cliché. I'm going to use an example that every single preacher ever has used and every single motivational speaker has ever used. It's, it's one of the most overused stories ever. But I'm going to use it because here I am. Anybody know the explorer Cortez? When he got to his destination in the New World, there's a story that he had his men burn the ships that they came on. Why would he do that? Because he wanted them to know there was no looking back. There was no going back. There was only going forward. He was trying to be decisive. Now, having used that old cliche, I'm making this point. If we have done all the steps that we've talked about up to this particular moment, and it's time to make our choice, once we make our choice, there's no need in looking back. There's no need in second guessing. There's only moving forward. Again, if we follow those steps, I think we're going to be happy with those results. And you can't change the past. You can only move forward. Paul let go of his past in order to move forward to serve the Lord, and we have to do the same thing. Now, I want you to remember something. As, as we, we're going to wrap up here. I mean, I still got a little bit. Don't get excited. Don't start putting stuff away. But we still got a little bit here. But this is my last point. You have one ultimate goal, and we can never forget that. Your ultimate goal is heaven. As a Christian, as a child of God, that is the one thing that you must aim for as you make all these other choices. For the world, the ultimate goal is to live their lives selfishly, to have a, an attractive spouse, to live in a big house, to climb your way up the company ladder, to have a fancy car. That's the way the world thinks. But again, as Christians, you're not of the world, John chapter 17 and verse 14. You belong to God. Your perspective is not their perspective. Your thinking is not their thinking. They're carnal. You're spiritual. They can only think of the here and now. You're thinking of eternity. As Christians, our goal must always be heaven. And everything that we do, every decision we make, everything that we come across in the future should be done with the intent of reaching heaven. So every time we have one of those big choices that has to be included, will I marry this person and will they help me get to heaven? Can I have this job and can I do this thing or I'll be hindered in going to heaven? If I do it, where will I live? Maybe a big fancy city with all the lights and the activities or someplace where I can find a good congregation where I can help my family to grow spiritually. Maybe it's not as swanky as downtown, but my family will help. It will help them to get to heaven. 
because, brethren, if we miss heaven, it doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter who you married. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. You failed. Your life was a failure. And if you do go to heaven, it won't matter in heaven how much money you had in the bank. It won't matter where you lived or where you went to school or what your job was. I don't know everything that's in your future. But I do know this. The wisdom of Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. What is it to profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That's how important, just in that statement, what we're talking about is. As I make these choices, what good does it do if I gain the whole world, yet I'm lost for an eternity? Literally, the idea that is being put here is, if you could own everything in the world, it's all yours, you could do with what you want to, you have ultimate power and possession, and yet at the end of it, you miss heaven? You spend eternity in hell? Has it really been worth it? Again, I, I don't know what you're going to face. But here's some things I do know. I know, number one, that God dearly loves you. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. I know he sees your every move. Psalm 139 verses 1 through 7. I know he has compassion on you. Psalm 145 and verse 9. I know he delights in you, Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. And I know that he is always with you, Matthew 28 and verse 20. So I'm, I'm going to leave you this afternoon with a remembrance of what our ultimate goal is. As you look to the future, don't be so short-sighted that you only see to a career or to a marriage or to something like that. Look through them to see eternity. And make your choices that are right and proper on your way to heaven. The future you're preparing for is not here on earth. Your future is in heaven. And that's something we ought to all look forward to. I appreciate your time. Thanks.